Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in, and welcome to the second episode of our American Translators Association Chinese Language Divisions podcast. Today, you are in for a real treat because I have with us today, as our guest, Mrs. Maureen Sweeney. She was the deputy chief of the interpreting staff for the Summer Olympic Games in Tokyo, Japan, in 2020, or I may say 2021. In her role, she was responsible for recruiting, coordinating, and supervising a staff of professional interpreters and high-level language volunteers, numbering in the hundreds. So it is a huge, huge role with lots of responsibilities, and I know that being involved in a such high-profile event is probably on a lot of linguist language professionals' uh, wish list. So today we have Maureen here to talk with us about that. She's not exactly an interpreter or translator herself, but she is very much involved in the industry. She works alongside the best interpreters and translators. Translators, so she's definitely no stranger to our profession. So today we get to pick her brain about the Olympic Games that just happened, which was, in my opinion, quite a miracle that it actually took place.、Absolutely. So welcome, Marie. Thank you so much. I appreciate you inviting me to be on the show. So、uh, starting off,、uh, would you be able to share with us just a brief history of how you got involved with the games and what was it like for you in the very beginning? Absolutely.、Um, so I got involved in the games because, like many of the people who are probably listening to this podcast, I actually attended the、um, Monterey Institute, now the Middlebury Institute of International Studies. But I was not an interpretation student. I was studying、um, international public administration, and my plan was to go into sort of UN-related work.、Mm -hmm. um, However, while I was there,、um, I met a gentleman named Bill Weber, who was the dean of translating and interpreting at the time,、right. and he was actually、um, recruiting interpreters for the Atlanta Games in nineteen.、Mm. Um, he was recruiting in nineteen ninety five for the games in nineteen ninety six. And sort of a funny story is that he、uh, hosted a job announcement at the、um, the career development office. And there was a little sign that said "Sign up for interviews if you'd like to be an interpreter at the games." No one who's not an interpretation student should apply. And of course, I signed up,、um, and I showed up for my interview. And I said, "I'm sorry, Mr. Weber, I'm not an interpreting student, but I'd love to have five minutes of your time to talk about the Olympics because I love the games."、Um, Fast forward about a month later,、um, after a lovely conversation with him, I assumed I'd never hear anything back.、Um, I got a call from the Atlantic Committee for the Olympic Games asking me to do my final interview to be his assistant. So、um, it's sort of all thanks to、um, Miss and Bill Weber that I got involved. Sort of at the ground floor as the assistant to the chief interpreter for the games there.、Right. Um, after Atlanta, I really enjoyed、um, working in language services. I had a language background. I'd studied、um, in South America and was、um, pretty fluent in Spanish、um, back in the day.、Uh, after Atlanta, I joined、um, the Olympics in Salt Lake City as a full-time employee, and I worked there for about three years as the head of. Um, language services and venue protocol, which is another、um, sort of hospitality-related program within international relations.、Mm -hmm. After that,、um, I started working as a contractor, a consultant to the upcoming games. So I worked with 
Torino with Beijing 2008. Um, and then uh, Vancouver as well. And after Vancouver, I started um, also working as an expert advisor to the International Olympic Committee. Um, they, uh, the IOC um, employs sort of a stable of experts on certain topics to help um, upcoming organizing committees make their plans for future games. So then in addition to working with the organizing committees, I worked with the IOC um, and that sort of continued on and on. Um, I guess fast forward again uh, for the Tokyo 2020 games, uh, my company was brought on to provide sort of the entire suite of services um, in the language area. So we were hired to provide professional interpreters, interpretation equipment, um, the junior interpreter program that I know you are involved with, um, as well as consulting on um, language volunteers. And I did that in collaboration with um, my partner, um, Alex Ponomarev, who right. was the chief interpreter. Um, I was the owner of the company. He was the chief interpreter and I was in de his deputy. So there's always a joke that I was both his boss and his deputy at the same time. Uh, he's also an Institute grad, um, but he and I together with a, a team of other um, folks um, worked for about three years prior to the games and then delivered all of the services this past summer. That is truly amazing. Um, so you started from um, just a sheer interest in it, just because you love the game and mm -hmm. look where it got you. So you just started from back in the 90s and then every <laughs> game after that or almost every game after that, you, yeah. you have been a part of that. So just a quick question. So the IOC and then the local Olympic committees, there are two separate committees. Is that correct? So you yeah. have the local ones? Yeah, it's that's a it's a really good point. So the way it works, I always to try to explain to people, it's a little bit like, um, and this sounds terrible in some ways, but it's a little bit like a franchise in some ways. It reminds me of like McDonald's in that there is the McDonald's headquarters and it's an entity that exists. And then there are all these McDonald's around the world that sort of take direction and advice from headquarters, but they are um, individually operating um, businesses. So I would say the IOC is sort of like home base headquarters. Um, and then there are the organizing committees in each country that are selected generally, not always, about seven years prior to their games. And the IOC provides them with support and advice and funding, recommendations. There's a lot of handbooks policies and procedures. Mm. Um, but ultimately, those individual organizing committees like um, Tokyo 2020, or like the upcoming Paris Games, um, LA, uh, these are individual entities. So um, depending on the games, I have sometimes worked um, either for a games being paid for by the IOC or directly for that organizing committee. Um, and the corollary there would be, um, it's, it's the same for interpreters. There are interpreters that work directly for the IOC because the IOC has its own meetings, even unrelated to the games. Mm -hmm. um, but then the IOC also um, has meetings in the Olympic city at games time that are interpreted. And the organizing committee itself has its own suite of language services. So it's, it gets a little confusing because it's all interconnected. Right. Um, and all of those organizations work together. 
I see. But when it comes to language support or providing uh, interpretation service, it's more of the say that would be more within the uh, the individual uh, Olympic committee within the hosting city. Would that be exactly exactly? I would say that's very true because each um, each organizing committee really um, approaches language services quite differently as well. So you'll have some games um, where, uh, you know, maybe they don't take languages seriously. There are other games where language is considered a big priority. Mm -hmm. um, it also really varies depending on, um, is it a base English speaking country, right? Because mm -hmm. a lot of the services that are provided for the games are provided for journalists right. who generally international journalists all speak English. So you might have um, a lower level of service in a base English country than you would, let's say somewhere like China or Japan, where less of the local population is going to be speaking English. So the, the mixture really um, varies a lot depending on the country. I see. And I heard for this year, the Winter Olympics, or maybe not this year, next year, the uh, 2022 Winter Olympics, the China Beijing Winter Olympics, they aren't really uh, that uh, extensive in terms of sourcing this international uh, linguist to be there on the ground to give support. Is that is that true? They're doing so everything by themselves? <laughs> um, I would say a couple of things. First off, um, it's important. I think one of the things people don't realize, and I didn't realize before I worked for the games, is the vast difference between a summer and a winter games. Mm -hmm. um, compared to summer, so um, for instance, in Tokyo, there were close to 50 venues, if you, if you included both sport venues and non-competition venues like the Village or the Main Press Center or the IBC. Um, about 50 separate huge venues that are operating and providing various services or hosting competitions. Whereas at the winter games, you usually have less than 20. Mm. So it's less than half. Less and in fact, um, yeah, and the number of uh, competitions is far lower. And when it comes to language services, um, if you think about who competes in the Winter Games, it tends to be very biased to the global north, let's say, right? <laughs> Talking about a lot of countries, Scandinavia, you know, Canada, United <laughs> States, yeah, countries like Korea that are really yeah. successful, China's quite successful in their um, competitions there. But you can see a trend in terms of less languages overall, obviously, um, and then a lot more people who speak English again. Mm. And once again, when you get like more, both competitors and journalists who are primarily speaking English, the amount of interpreting that goes on decreases quite a bit. So there's that piece of it. I think winter games in general, it's always a lot smaller operation. Um, and then in China, I think the other things that are affecting the situation are, they didn't do it that long ago. They did this in, in 2008. There are a lot of really great people who are involved with the games mm -hmm. this coming year who didn't do it that long ago. So their reliance upon international experts is a lot lower because they have a lot of those um, that talent available to them. Right. Um, so I would say, you know, I don't know that it's it, it. And I guess the other impact is obviously the obvious elephant in the room, which is the pandemic. Right. Right. Um, right. So I think that there are a lot of things that are sort of conspiring to make 
the levels of internationals um, kind of employed to be, be a lot lower that have nothing to do with sort of maybe kind of stereotypes about, you know, you know, I mean, I just think they're in a, they're in a situation where they've really got to think about who they're going to bring in because of all of all the issues that are going on in the world globally. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, so speaking of that, uh, when um, interpreters get to the game, I'm sure they're needed in a lot of different situations. They're uh, the journalists that will ask questions and they will have to relay the message back and forth. And then um, what are some major situations where you see interpreters are at work uh, when they're involved with the games? It's a great question. There's actually, um, at most games, there are three different actually four different levels and types of services that involve linguists of different kinds. Mm -hmm. So in interpreting, um, I sort of see it as um, first off, sort of the first responders are the volunteers. And those volunteers are providing usually um, support directly to um, athletes, journalists, even sometimes spectators, um, uh, Olympic family members, on site in the venues. Um, now, there weren't nearly as many of them this past year in Tokyo because of the pandemic, but they were still there and they would provide services for things like doping control, which is what they call drug testing. They provide services for um, like uh, mixed zone interviews. The mixed zone is when the athlete comes off the field of play, they've just either won or lost, and they sort of walk through this um, line of reporters that are on either side of them. And um, volunteers are generally the ones that will help interpret if that um, athlete doesn't speak English generally, because it's going to be international journalists asking mm -hmm. them questions. Right. So that's sort of the, the realm of the volunteers, those one-on-one -on -one athlete journalists, and, you know, and they also do things like, you know, a lost child or somebody in the medical tent. Um, it's really those down and dirty language situations for volunteers. Right. The next level generally is the professional interpreters that are doing medal round press conferences and official meetings, IOC mm -hmm. meetings, organizing committee meetings. In Tokyo, we added a third element and that you alluded to uh, um, earlier, the non-medal round press conferences. So by that, I mean, it's a preliminary round of basketball. It's mm -hmm. not when a uh, gold, silver, or bronze are given out, but it, maybe it's a really interesting game. It might be a game, let's say, in basketball between China and Spain. Those are two teams that are really good teams. They're well-regarded. There might be a lot of people that don't um, speak English there, and there might be a lot of interest in that press conference. In the past, they would have either had to provide their own interpreter or use a volunteer, but instead, in Tokyo, we initiated what we called the junior interpreter program, which involved um, high level, uh, generally recent graduates from uh, the Institute and other well-known interpretation schools around the globe mm -hmm. who provided um, interpreting consecutively via MS Teams, right. uh, which I have to say was not the most ideal platform for that interpreting, um, but we made it work. Uh, 
and this was a new initiative and, and it was added in Tokyo because a lot of the sporting federations like basketball, like football, like hockey have sort of been complaining. Like we have these, we have these press conferences that aren't medal rounds, but there's a lot of press interest and we'd really like to see interpretation provided so that we can kind of get, we can communicate out to those, um, you know, sporting outlets. Uh, so that was a new program that we instituted. It's never been done before. We don't really know if it will be picked up at the next games because like you said, every organizing committee kind of gets to do their own thing, right. but um, it was very successful, very well received. So we're hoping. Um, and then the final kind of um, program that's available generally is translation, obviously the written word right. and how, um, how each organizing committee kind of um, delivers translation is hugely different. And the amount of words that are translated. Some committees take it very seriously. Everything's translated in multiple languages. I've worked for some committees where they had budget restrictions and there was almost nothing that was was translated. So Mm -hmm. it hugely variable, but always, you know, some level of translation is provided. So I think that is certainly encouraging news that uh, both interpreters and translators are able to participate because I know uh, in the game if they want to, because I know some translators aren't exactly comfortable being an interpreter and then Mm -hmm. some interpreters don't really want to do the translator's work. So now we have this big old pot of opportunities uh, for (laughs) everybody if they if they want to join in or at least there there could be things that uh, they could do. Yes. So uh, that's very good. Now, uh, we touched upon this a little bit earlier by this year going remote. Uh, Do you think now that the IOC, for the lack of better terms, Mm -hmm. had a taste of it? Are they going to do you think they're going to want to continue or at least uh, this form of interpreting or are they going to want to go back to in person? Um, I know that um, even for the interpreters on on the ground in Tokyo, they were still uh, delivering an interpretation from like a media center venue, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's interesting because initially prior to the pandemic, we had already planned on um, providing simultaneous interpreting through a hub situation. So um, in the old days, um, (laughs) prior to Tokyo, uh, we would bring a very huge team of professional simultaneous interpreters and they would actually have to like take the buses out and go to the actual press centers and interpret. And it was, as you can imagine, really tricky because venues are all over the place. The transport is often a little bit challenging. Um, and then the other part that's that's tricky is we're always just guessing who's going to win, right? We do a huge amount of analysis prior to the games to anticipate what languages will be required for each sport. But, um, you, you know, especially uh, Tokyo was a, it was a perfect example of how you can analyze and analyze and analyze. And then the pan the pandemic happens and the top three people don't come because they're not comfortable or somebody's sick or, and then out of the blue, you have 
you know, more Italians winning medals than have ever won medals anywhere else. I think we just had a joke by the end. It was like, is another Italian? Um, and and it, an Italian is a, a language that we have, but we don't have huge numbers of Italian interpreters at the games because usually, you know, small country, not a lot of other countries besides Italy speak Italian. I mean, I got a little bit going on in Switzerland and a few other places, but it's mostly Italians. Whereas for example, for Chinese, our team is, is quite large, right? Or our team for French or Spanish is larger. So this games, we had already planned on using a hub where we would, what we called the RIC, the Remote Interpreting Center, where we had um, 25 booths set up and it was connected out to all of the press centers um, at the venues. And um, we were planning on using just that. Then because of the pandemic, we were asked to come up with a, a new approach that would allow people to use their own headsets instead of the receivers that you normally would check out at a, you know, when you get simultaneous interpretation at a, at a meeting. Mm -hmm. um, we were asked to come up with a, a um, sort of an system, an app where people could access the service via their smartphone, use their own headphones and thereby eliminate the chance of, you know, contamination via headsets. So we started working on that. And then um, there were requests to decrease the number of staff and interpreters that we're actually bringing over to Japan because of the limits on travel due to COVID. Mm. So at that point, um, we worked on improving the app to the point that we could actually bring in. Um, and I think in the end, we had about 26 interpreters that were actually working from California, Norway, Moscow, Geneva, um, they were everywhere, Hong Kong, we had people all over the place interpreting remotely. And that was a was a, ref, you know, a reflection of what we needed to do in response to the pandemic. Mm. Um, getting back to your questions, but um, do I think we will keep doing it? Absolutely. I think what everyone has realized, I think all of your listeners probably know as well, is there's a huge cost savings Mm -hmm. um, to be had when you don't have to pay travel and accommodations, um, especially for something like the Olympics where the travel is international, the accommodations is, you know, minimum 17, 18, 19 days um, per diems. We had some conversations with the people from the um, upcoming games in Paris, and they're absolutely interested in how they can utilize remote interpreting more to save money, frankly. Yeah, and I think that's probably the biggest benefit uh, offered by this remote interpreting. So I, I think a lot of event organizers are seeing this and then they want to go ahead, uh, go forward with, uh, with this technology. And frankly, I think, yes, it does save a lot of money. And for interpreters, um, it's not as stressful having to go through uh, the whole travel ordeal and then having to adjust to the local time zone and... Uh, but I want, I do want to say that we kind of miss out too, by not being there. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I would say, um, as I mentioned, in addition to doing the games, I also am a partner in a language services company that's based in Seattle. And um, we do a lot of sort of more traditional meetings along with things like the Olympics. And one of the things we've seen is that there is a downside in terms of not getting the chance to sort of travel and see your colleagues and have that kind of interaction. But on the plus side, our business and talking to other language service 
agencies, um, our business has exploded because we've had a lot of clients who have come to us and said, oh, wow, we can get interpreting without having to pay this incredibly high price, sign us up. I mean, we had clients that, you know, in the past maybe did one or two meetings a year, and now they're doing eight, nine, 10 meetings a year. We had, um, I mean, this is an interesting example. We did a lot of um, initial meetings with the, um, with the Biden campaign for the, pres- you know, for the presidency, and they were very confused. They, you know, that's not a normal thing to do in political campaigns. But once they realized it worked and they could do it, we did, you know, 50 plus meetings. And that was like an, from, a, uh, from a client that normally would never, ever, ever, ever consider doing interpreting. So I feel like, you know, you know, I guess it's take the good with the bad. I feel like there is a lot more work coming right. for people. Um, but it is, you know, it's a bummer. It's fun to get to travel once in a while. And yes. you know, it's living just virtually. Yes. Um, What are you going to (laughs) do? Yes. Good and bad. So I save the best for the last before I take too much of your time. For those of us who actually still want to get in on the games and whether it's for experience or whether it's just to to check off that item on their wish list just to say that oh I've been uh, involved in this and that Olympic games so for for those of us who still want to do that do you have any advice for them or any tips and where how can they get involved how how can they get really actively uh, you know seeking out that opportunity yeah um Absolutely. So I think there's a few different things that you can do. Um, obviously, if there's going to be um, an, an, an actual Olympic Games in your host city, you're in a, in, you're in a prime position, right? You, could, you can um, volunteer, you can connect with people from the organizing committee directly. Um, I do think, obviously, that's, that can be challenging because, you know, I mean, unless you live in Beijing, you live in Paris, you live in Milano, Cortina, you live in L.A., those are the places that, that are coming up on the docket. Um, another way to kind of get your foot in the door is to um, try to get involved with World Cup again events mm-hmm. um, because you have the same federation. So, for instance, coming up this summer in um, Eugene, Oregon, is the World Athletics Championships. Um, that's a huge international event. It's essentially the last step of competition as a, as a athletics athlete or runner or a pole vaulter or, you know, sprinter, um, that you would have before you make it to the games, they will have, although they won't, the world cups don't necessarily 100% replicate the services of a games. There are often opportunities to get involved and to sort of meet the people who are involved. And, um, uh, even if it isn't a traditional interpreting, position, there are, you know, um, bilingual host positions, and there are other international relations related jobs. And generally, um, in the Olympics, and in sort of the International Sport Federation world, um, uh, language services falls within the international relations heading, and within international relations is generally language services, hospitality, protocol, because all of those services are targeted to um, sort of the international VIPs involved in the sport. So I would say 
look at opportunities also at World Cups or World Championships. Um, there's the World Games coming up in Birmingham, Alabama. That's a huge um, event that is all of the sports that um, don't that aren't on the Olympic roster. So like roller derby and um, I don't know. There's a, so many inline skating. And um, so that's a huge event that's coming up and we'll have um, international participation from around the world. Um, there's also the World University Games coming up in Lake Placid. Again, they'll have a language services program. They'll have a lot of the um, same sports that then go on to the Olympics. So I think if you sort of start thinking about how you can connect up with Olympic adjacent or related events, that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a nice kind of um, path to, to go on. Uh, that's very good. Maybe I will try some of that myself again. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I actually quite look forward to the games that they're going to have in Los Angeles. That's uh, that's where I live. And I think, um, yeah. yes, I'm really, really excited because being involved with the Tokyo game, it was quite fun. So um, definitely worth it. Uh, all the late nights staying up. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you so much. I know that, that, I mean, that's one of the issues with remote work that I'm sure everyone that listens to this is getting used to is the, is the time zone issues. And yeah. I know that uh, it was tricky because Tokyo, you know, the time zone in, does not align with uh, the West Coast of the United States where <laughs> a lot of our junior interpreters were living. So we appreciate right. the late nights. <laughs> okay, I think with that, I would want to uh, maybe conclude today's episode. I hope all yeah. of our listeners have enjoyed listening to Maureen's uh, insight. Um, those are really good, uh, valuable uh, advice. Thank you very much. It was great to talk to you. I really in, uh, enjoyed it. And um, yeah, keep in touch. Let me know if anyone comes through with questions. I'm always happy to, to respond if I can. Okay. Thank you once again, Maureen, for taking the time to talk with us today. It was truly a pleasure.